Welcome to episode 46 of Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. So slightly wrong timing of light exposure or melatonin, for example, can absolutely shift you in the, in the wrong direction. Today we're speaking with Dr. Tracy Sletton, a senior research fellow from the Turner Institute of Brain and Mental Health at Monash University. Dr. Sletton is an expert on sleep, and in our conversation, we do a deep dive into how shift work affects sleep, how to improve sleep as much as possible while working as a shift worker, and how to make the best of what would be otherwise a very non-ideal situation. Okay, let's dive in. My name is Dr. Tracy Sletton. I'm from the Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health at Monash University. And here I'm a senior research fellow and my area of expertise is in circadian misalignment and particularly in, in the context of shift work. So I do a lot of work really understanding what the impacts are of, of shift work and effectively working against our, our body clock um, and then really focusing on a lot of interventions. Yeah, I think that's so relevant for a lot of people. We've just had a conversation, two parts actually, with Dr. Sean Drummond, and we've covered sleep, what it is, how it works, how much you need, the different phases of sleep. And so to any of our listeners who haven't heard that, I suggest, why don't you start at that point? Because that will set the scene. I think for our conversation today, Dr. Tracy, let's let's just assume that there's a reasonable level of knowledge and understanding in sleep already, because our listeners have, have listened and caught up. Why don't you maybe just start by setting the scene for us on um, circadian rhythms? Um, Why don't we start there? Sure. Circadian means about a day. So it's the rhythms that occur in all aspects of our our physiology and also our behavior. Um, And so you're looking at rhythms that approximate 24 hours. So for example, it might be hormone levels. So we have some hormones that are very low levels during the day um, and at very high levels in in the night. And and one example of of that hormone is melatonin. And melatonin is sort of known as the hormone of darkness or, or the sleepy hormone where it actually allows us or or facilitates us to fall asleep in the evening to stay asleep for for that period of of the night and then it helps us to be awake and alert during the day because it's at very low levels during the day Um, other rhythms that we have are temperature rhythms so you tend to have warmer temperature rhythms during the um, day and then a decrease in, in temperature at night Um, There's also aspects of our metabolism that that change across the day as well as just a few examples. And of course, then you have your sleep-wake cycle where we tend to biologically um, sleep during the night and and be alert during the day if we're not a shift worker. And so those circadian rhythms, as I said, are are about a day in duration. There is variability from from one person to to another. Um, but they approximate 24 hours and where they are a little different to 24 hours, we sort of rely on our external light dark exposure to keep us aligned to that, that 24 hour day. Um, and so that is really working together with our sleep system to optimize our sleep in a consolidated form during the night and, and stay awake during the day. And so when we then work against those circadian rhythms in the case of shift work, or if we have a circadian rhythm sleep disorder, which means our biological timing might be slightly out of out of sync with our social timing, then we're more inclined to have problems with our sleep. Okay. 
All right, so let's maybe touch on melatonin first because I do want to go to temperature and um, and the metabolism component. But um, so can you can you just guide and, and and direct my understanding here if I map this out? So melatonin, you said, is a hormone. It's secreted by the pineal gland in the brain, and the pineal sits behind your eye, right? So we think maybe that's why it's connected to light. Light yes. helps regulate it. Is that right? One hundred percent. Absolutely. So the melatonin is a great measure of our circadian rhythms and, and it's really our gold standard measure to understand what some one person's individual biological timing is. And so you're right that melatonin is secreted from, from the pineal gland and the signaling for when it can be um, secreted versus when that, that production is, is ceased is linked directly to our light dark exposure and so really the light that we receive through the eye travels through a, a neural tract called the retinohypothalamic tract that then um, finishes on the hypothalamus or a section of our hypothalamus called the suprachiasmatic nuclei not that you want to get caught in the terminology but that suprachiasmatic nuclei is effectively our body clock that is our, our central circadian clock. And that then controls many of the biological rhythms in our body. And so we have that central circadian clock in our brain. And that effectively acts as a conductor that sort of conducts the orchestra of all the other clocks that we have through our body. So we found out in recent years that we also have effectively these circadian clocks in every organ of, of our body. And so that then, if you can sort of picture your body as having all these different organs and each of them has their own little clock, and then you've got the conductor of your central clock that then keeps them all aligned. And so you therefore have rhythms around melatonin, uh, uh, sorry, around metabolism. And then you've got different rhythms for your temperature and you've got your different clocks for all these different aspects and they need to work together. And so that's where things get even more complicated, where we don't necessarily just have misalignment between our internal central clock and what's happening around us if we're a shift worker. Um, but we also have this sort of mismatch and very poor music effectively occurring in our body when all our internal systems are, are out of sync also hmm. um but coming back to to your point in regards to the the suprachiasmatic nuclei and that nuclei and that central clock that is keeping our our timing for us and that then sends signals to the pineal gland to say it's dark right now that must be nighttime let's make lots of melatonin and help the body to to sleep and recover overnight and then in the morning when we start to get that light exposure in the morning that signal is going through the eye to the clock that then goes to the pineal gland and says we don't need melatonin right now it's it's morning and so we have that control through that light dark exposure and so the light dark exposure we get is effectively the primary um we call it a zeitgeber very much based on the on the latin language which is effectively a time giver it's one of our our main cues as to what time of day or night it is for the for the body to maintain its rhythms i love it zeitgeber okay so let's talk about um types of light for a moment because blue blocking filters are all over the internet um, i listened to an amazing podcast by andrew huberman and he was saying that the way in which your eye picks up light is aligned so that you actually need to get light from the horizon and not from below you 
to sort of, you know, replicate the sun actually setting. Uh, so even where you get the light from is important. And can you maybe just unpack that for us a little bit and, and explain? Um, and I, I, I want to come back to how someone in a shift work environment can ultimately use this to their benefit. But let's maybe um, just really get the nuts and bolts of, of how these mechanisms work out of the way first. Absolutely. So you're absolutely right that not all light exposure is the same. And we've learned a lot more about this in the, in the last 10 years in particular, where we're really understanding how we can be differently impacted by the light exposure that we're getting. So many years ago, we thought that we really needed very, very bright light for it to have an impact on our circadian system. And so many of the experiments would have... Uh, extremely bright light um, to people which was very hard for them to to accommodate but we've learned that we can there's actually different wavelengths of light that we're more sensitive to that our circadian system is more sensitive to and that is why we have this focus on blue light which is really those those short wavelengths of of light and so there's been a lot of work that has identified that the circadian system is particularly sensitive to short wavelengths of light um, and that means that you don't need it to be so bright. You can still use sort of dim blue light and you're going to have an impact. It can suppress your levels of, of melatonin at even a low level of light and therefore change the timing of, of your circadian rhythm and also impact your alertness. But that's a, a, a second lovely impact of, of light. So it's not when you talk about the angle in which you receive the light, I think that is mainly linked to the amount of light that is being received by the retina. And so it's all about how much light we get into our eyes and the timing of that light and the spectrum or the, the colour content of that light effectively. So a lot more research has identified that we can use lower levels of light at shorter wavelengths and you're going to get a, a considerable impact. And where that's probably most relevant to, to people each day is our use of devices and our iPhones or you know, our, our mobile phone devices, our tablets, um, televisions, all of the things that are so heavily intertwined in our lifestyle now are having a huge impact on our sleep-wake behaviour and a major part of that is through our circadian rhythms. And so it's such a, a habit for many of us to be using our devices quite often quite close to our eye and the light that you're actually getting through those, those devices tends to be more enriched in the blue shorter wavelengths of light so you might be climbing into bed with your device late at night you're using that to perhaps help you to to fall asleep distract you wind down a little bit but one of the things we're not considering is that that is light exposure you're effectively giving a cue to your circadian system that it's still daytime um, in in short terms and then you sort of switch off that light and then expect that we're going to fall asleep after we've just sent a kid signal to our pineal gland effectively to stop making melatonin. Um, and so we are constantly sending these cues at different times of day to that therefore confuse our circadian system a little bit and cause problems for, for our, our sleep-wake cycles. And so more thought around the way we use light exposure during the day will have a huge impact on, on our sleep from one day to the, to the next. 
Um, even something as, as small as you know, waking up in the middle of the night, reaching over and having a look at your phone to see what time it is. You're sort of giving yourself a bit of a, a shot of bright light at, at that point. And we know that it can be even short pulses of light that, that uh, can send signals that, that can be a little confusing to your body clock. So some simple tricks to, to just change your exposure to, to light and how you use light in, in your life can actually help you. Um, because we effectively are therefore shift generally shifting our circadian timing to a later time by this behavior of, of light exposure late in the evenings that that's just become such a habit for, for many of us. Yeah, we try to um, do a, it, this, it sounds a bit silly, but it really resonated with us, a digital sunset. So after 8.30, we try and shut down devices or if we have to use them, put it on really low brightness, have really low dim lit light in the house and for for my partner and I, like we're convinced that that makes a difference for us. Um, maybe we're just more sensitive to light than normal people. But yeah, the the screen very close to your face at nighttime just it frazzles me, and it I feel like it keeps me awake. So that all makes sense the way you map that out. Can we visit temperature? Because um, so the the narrative I heard, and can you please do fact check and then expound on this a little bit? Um, so your temperature, your body temperature goes lower while you sleep. The moment you fall asleep, it starts lowering. And then about two hours, basically, before you wake up from memory, it's at its lowest point. And then it sort of goes up. And if you mess around with your temperature, then you can affect your sleep pattern, both helping you sleep or not helping you sleep. And what I'd heard, and I'd love you to tell me if this is true or not, is if you do cold exposure, so have a really cold shower, afterwards, you're body says whoa that was really cold i need to warm up i need to warm up i need to warm up and it speeds up your metabolism and it warms up your body so even though the water itself and the experience is cold afterwards you're actually in a in a more warm state and so if you do that just before you go to bed if you have a cold shower just before you go to bed it doesn't necessarily help you to fall asleep because it's raising your temperature and it's kind of like counter cyclical so if you do do want to do cold exposure do it in the morning when your body's already on that ramp up temperature is like there's a lot in there. Is that true? Can you like tell us more about that? You're you're effectively accurate there. So there's there's a few things in there to to unpack. Um, so perhaps if I just talk very quickly, uh, that you're absolutely right in the temperature cycle that you have. So the rhythm that I talked about with melatonin, melatonin being low during the day, and then you get this increase in the evening, um, whether we call it the onset of melatonin starts. Um, you, in, in healthy sleep about two hours before you fall asleep and then would peak at around three to four or five in the morning depending on different people and then starts to decrease the temperature rhythm is effectively the opposite to that so where you when you're seeing melatonin rhythms the levels of melatonin increase your temperature is decreasing um, into the night and then increasing again in the morning and so you're right in that if you have a cold shower in the evening it's it's not actually going to help you to fall asleep because your natural rhythm is for your temperature to start decreasing as you fall asleep and that's why we often feel sleepy when we have a shower or a bath a warm shower or bath in the evening because you've raised your temperature a little and then it's sort of this natural um decrease of temperature that occurs as you fall asleep so it can actually help you to fall asleep in the evening to have um, warm showers and so yes if you're going to do cold showers or, and uh, anything similar to that morning is is a lot better for that okay 
so we talked about um, melatonin cycles. We talked about temperature rhythms. Uh, is this an appropriate place or conversation to talk about adenosine and caffeine as well, or is that a separate conversation? Um, I think in the context of, of shift work, that's probably a little bit different um, for caffeine. But most people's interest in caffeine, in, in the context of shift work at least, um, is, is in the alerting effects of, of shift work. From a circadian rhythms perspective, there is more research emerging that caffeine may actually be able to manipulate the timing of our circadian system also. And, and so that's sort of a new area of research that there's been sort of some, particularly some animal work um, and they're starting some, some more work in humans now where if you are to have caffeine late in the evening, it can delay the circadian rhythm and caffeine early in the morning can advance the rhythm. Um, but there's definitely more research that needs to be done there. And, and I know some, some colleagues who are, are wanting to do, do some research and explore that. Um, but what we do know is that it's definitely light exposure that has the, the greatest impact on our circadian rhythm and followed by also melatonin. You can actually take melatonin to help shift your timings. So just to circle on that for a moment, um, so you're saying the the hypothesis might be that caffeine can influence the circadian rhythm by maybe adjusting melatonin as opposed to what we know it already does, which is reduce us feeling that sleep pressure. To be clear, it wouldn't it wouldn't be acting through adjusting melatonin. Um, caffeine wouldn't have that um, mechanism. So the mechanism would be quite separate and it's it's quite new research, so probably not something I want to speak to in detail until we explore that a little further as to the, what the impact of caffeine could could be. Um, but it would mean that there would be two, um, I guess, effects of melatonin. There's the uh, sorry, two effects of caffeine. So there's the alerting impact of effect of caffeine that you can have to help you stay alert when you're feeling a bit sleepy um but then that impact on on changing the timing of our circadian rhythm would be a different effect um which effectively is what we have with melatonin right now um which we we know a lot more about so you can take melatonin to have an automatic sort of sleep inducing effect a soporific effect um but then you can also use melatonin to shift the timing of your circadian rhythm Let's jump into shift work. How do you put this together and how can someone in a shift work position start manipulating these and other instruments to optimize their sleep? Great. So so I think the first thing to tell people who are living lives with shift work is that there is a lot happening to your system, um, but there also is a lot that we can do to try and optimize that. It's, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, there is a lot, but it is a complex scenario to, to unpack because there's so much variability in what people are doing with their shift working schedules. And so when we talk about shift work, we're effectively talking about working non-standard work hours. So most people automatically assume we're talking about working at night, which is the most extreme situation. Of course, you're needing to work at night and be awake when your body is wanting to sleep and then you're trying to sleep during the day when your your body is is um, built to be awake and so that is the most extreme situation but it's really important to explain that there's other aspects of shift work that can be very challenging as well so people who 
are early morning shift workers. So they may be starting work, you know, seven can be challenging, 6am is more challenging, and then there's, there's earlier times as well. But we know, for example, even those, those shift starts at 6am in the morning can have significant impacts. So when I talk about shift work, I want to make it clear that I, I'm talking about all of those contexts. Um, you also have shift systems where people are going from an early morning and then they do some evenings, they might do some nights and they're rotating constantly. And so when you are working shift work, you are firstly working at a time that is against your circadian timing. And so your body is out of alignment with, with what you're asking it to, to do. But then you've often got the, the big rotations even if you are a night shift worker you still have days off where you try to live a day life again and so you're constantly giving different signals to to your your body so all shift workers have have that problem but what it means is that the different tools that you can use are quite varied based on the the schedule that you are working um, but perhaps if I can talk about some of the things that, that we first look at when someone is, is doing a shift work schedule. We try to start by looking at that system level first. And so what are the rosters that somebody is doing? And are there some very simple changes we can perhaps do to those rosters if necessary to consider circadian and sleep principles? So one, for example, would be that we have learned that the circadian rhythm, as I mentioned, is slightly longer than, than 24 hours in, in some people. It's, it's different for everybody, um, but it is on, on average 20, it's actually 24.2, just as a, as a side note. Um, and so it's actually easier for our body clock timing to shift later and later each day. And so we sort of tend to naturally delay if we're kept in the dark without these time cues of, of light and dark. Um, and so by using that sort of information, we know that if we need to rotate from an early shift to a you know, evening shifts and night shifts, we're better to follow this pattern where your shifts get later. So you should go from a morning shift and then your next one would be an evening and then you would be a night shift. So you're actually going later with each shift. And we call that a forward rotation because you're following the timing of your circadian rhythm that way. Whereas if your work structure requires you to do an early morning shift, after you do an evening shift, then you're going backwards. Um, and you're sort of working against your body clock, but you're also reducing the amount of time that you have between your shifts. So this is um, very, very commonly done in healthcare, in nursing. Um, more than any so they'll quite often work an evening shift and then the next morning they're required to come in for an early morning shift so they're working against their, their circadian rhythm um, but also only allowing a short amount of time off that that night to get home wind down get a little bit of sleep and then get up early and get back into into work um, and so there's those aspects around the the roster that's being worked that we can help to to change um, we would make some recommendations, for example, around people who do multiple night shifts to try and restrict the number of night shifts that people do. 
because as much as people quite often report that they might start to feel a little bit better after doing multiple nights because they think maybe their circadian rhythm adjusts to those night shifts, there's actually very limited evidence that our circadian rhythm does adapt to permanent night shifts. And so the more night shifts you do, you've got multiple nights then or days effectively of sleeping where you're getting restricted sleep. And so your circadian rhythm hasn't adjusted and you're running under this chronic sleep deprivation scenario. And so we try to sort of reduce those risks as much as possible by adjusting the shift schedule that people work under. So that would be the first step of what I always look at is, is what is your roster system and can we perhaps make some recommendations that would minimise the, the negative impacts of, of what you're doing. Can I just pause on that for a second? So um, more than ever, employers are being pressured right now to give employees um, improved working environments, working from home, ergonomic workspaces. I would therefore assume that employers are very keen to optimize their roster systems. In your position, is that what you see? Do you have employers breaking down your door saying, please help us improve our roster system? Yes. So you're absolutely right that there is a much higher demand um, for people to understand the impacts of their roster systems. And it's one thing that they can perhaps manipulate. And so the awareness of sleep restriction, circadian misalignment, fatigue in general is becoming greater and greater. And the impact of that, particularly around worker well-being, separately to their own productivity at the work in the workplace as well as safety so the increased risk of accidents and errors when you are more fatigued etc there's obviously that sort of financial and and safety aspect that employers are focused on but i'm really feeling more and more encouraged by how many workforces are really looking at the well-being of their staff yeah so the second part of our conversation with dr drummond he touched on how poor sleep patterns can actually cause mental health issues. So it's causal here. It's not just associative, which is which is really, really um, insightful and a little bit scary, I'm sure, for a lot of people. Um, do you, some of the stakeholders that approach you, oh, some of the stakeholders that approach you, um, unions as well? I imagine unions would be very interested in this as well. Yes, they, they definitely are. So we have some great relationships with, with unions from different industries that really see this as a way forward to to promote well-being in their in their workforces and and really make some very simple changes to to optimize well-being and it really comes down to just how do they get that knowledge um, many people want to make these changes but don't necessarily know how um, and so we've sort of very much tried to focus on how we can make that as easy as possible for organizations to make that change and so with us having that expertise on the simple changes that need to be made, that's quite easy for us to come in and tell them, but can we actually create um, automated systems for this? And so with some work we've been doing over the last few years, we've effectively created um, alert safe rosters and we've, we've collaborated with uh, a amazing software company who can actually create the, the rosters for organizations. So they can come forward with their current rosters, they can be input, into the system, as well as any sort of operational requirements. So we have to have this many nurses on this, this shift, et cetera, at this um, qualification level. Um, but it then can look at where the potential red flags are in a, in a roster pattern, 
probably very, very likely to be the number of night shifts in a row, how often people are rotating between shifts, and it can just make some very simple changes. So we've talked about the system now, the, the structure. Let's jump back to the individual level. So you're in the system, you've got what you've got. What can you do to improve your lot as much as possible? Yes, great question. And so that is the next step is you'll we've found that and you've obviously identified this in, in coming forward and having these conversations that shift work is such a complex beast that everybody knows that there's a problem but is not sure how to, to unpack that. And shift workers quite often just assume that this is just the way that they feel all the time. This is just the way that my shift work life is. I just need to accept I'm not going to sleep very well and I'm going to be pretty sleepy on my shift, etc. If you have a sleep disorder and you go to a to a clinic, um, as soon as you say you're a shift worker, it, it becomes more complex. Um, but perhaps one of the first things to, to speak about when it comes to, to shift work is identifying a particular disorder um, that, that we've identified called shift work disorder. And shift work is, is difficult for anybody who does it because of the reasons we've talked about in, in working against your, your circadian rhythms. Um, but there is a proportion of shift workers who find it even more challenging. And so this particular disorder called shift work disorder effectively is characterized by extreme sleepiness and um, ongoing impacts of insomnia. And so while all shift workers might feel some, some aspects of sleepiness and some aspects of, of trouble sleeping, there is a proportion and depending on how you, um, I guess, define it and, and measure it, it can be up to about 30% of the shift working population that experience this, this disorder. And so that sort of tends to be the first focus at an individual level that, that I would look at is what um, are, the, are the risks of, of an individual experiencing this, this shift work disorder? And there's simple ways for us to, to assess this, some very simple questionnaires um, where we ask people about their sense of well-being at different times, whether they doze off at work or doze off falling um, when they're driving, um, whether they have trouble you know, waking too early or going back to sleep. And as much as that sounds like all shift workers might experience that, there is that group that that, that particularly experience shift work um, disorder. And so we are learning more about the individual factors that might put some people at, at particular risk of struggling more with shift work. And some of that actually comes down to a person's individual circadian timing. So some of us are naturally more early and some of us are naturally more late and and there's a biological basis for, behind that and we find that that has an impact on how well some people cope with different shifts so as much as we say you can make some adjustments at a general organizational level with rosters you can also look at how an individual person copes being on different shifts so some people might be very very naturally early people and therefore getting up for an early morning shift isn't a problem for them. And so having them working those early morning shifts on a regular basis would actually align with their biology. Um, whereas those people for more evening um, naturally might cope better by working on those night shifts more often. And so you can start to unpack that by learning a little bit more about somebody's individual uh, sleep-wake behaviors um, and see if you can align their, their rosters to, to those. 
Um, there's also sort of associations around somebody's sleep hygiene and so what their their general habits are around their their sleep and what impact that has on when they sleep regardless of the time of day that, that they're doing that so I know that you spoke a to, to Professor Sean Drummond about that a little bit in the context of insomnia, but it also relates in the case of, of shift workers as well. So we know that um, the sleep habits of a shift worker are worse when they're going to, to bed with more worry, et cetera. Um, and some of those behaviours prior to their, their sleep can, can have a big impact. But I think one of the things to sort of talk about in general with shift work is when you look at somebody's particular roster pattern and the recommendations you can give to them around their, their sleep-wake, I think if we focus on a couple of examples um, that I think would be better to, to make it a bit easier because it is so variable depending on, on the rosters that you're doing. So one of the things for people who move from... They, they might do day shifts on, on some occasions and then they're moving to a night shift. So people who are regular night shift workers, one of the things that we, we've obviously talked about circadian rhythms having a huge impact on, on how they uh, are able to stay awake at night and sleep during the day. But another factor in our sleepiness is how long we've actually been awake for our sleep history. And so if you think about somebody who's working the night shift, usually we would... If we were, you're going to work during the day, you would wake up in the morning and then go to work. You've probably been awake for an hour or two at the time you start work. Somebody who's working a night shift might have slept overnight and then wake up at eight in the morning, they'll do their day and then they have to work in the night shift that night. So if they haven't slept during that first day, they're probably going to work having been awake for, um, you know, it's going to be close to sort of 16 to close to 24 hours by the time they finish that work shift. And so for individuals doing shift work to always think about not just when they're sleeping, but how much sleep they've had at, at each point along the way. So you're sort of trying to, in that case, you've got an opportunity to bank some sleep before your first night shift. So if you can, um, find that opportunity to nap in the afternoon before your first night shift, you've sort of broken up that long duration of wakefulness that would absolutely help you get through that first night. Then sleeping between two night shifts can be challenging um, because of our circadian rhythm. So the thing that we usually recommend is when you've finished your night shift to try to get to sleep as quickly as soon as possible when you get home. So don't wait and you know, go home, go and do the shopping on the way home or, or all those other things. And then you've lost that opportunity to, to try to get to sleep as, as soon as possible um, towards the end of your, your biological night. So trying to sleep as, as well as you can, you'll probably find that your um, circadian system, because you, you are in that period where you're not very, it's not very conducive to sleep during the day, after you've had a few hours and sort of broken that period of, your, your sleep catching up after you've slept for a few hours during the day, you'll probably find that you've woken in the sort of early afternoon. So again, we would encourage to try to return to sleep to get a little nap before you would start that next night shift again. So anywhere that there is that opportunity to sort of bank a little bit of sleep, even for short periods, is, is really important for a night shift worker. 
where quite often night shift workers will come home, sleep for a little while and then wake up and go, okay, I'll just get on with my day again now um, and then not sleep again. So separating those, those sleeps in, in some cases would certainly work. The other things that we'd recommend for, for someone on night shift is to have a look at or consider that, that light exposure that we were talking about earlier. So there's two features of the use of light. One of those is that light gives these direct alerting effects. So if you're using light at the right intensity, at the right colour of light or the, the sort of blue shorter wavelengths of, of light in particular, you can actually use light to sort of boost your alertness on that night shift. So depending on what your occupation is, if you're able to give yourself um, and change your, your light exposure a little on the night shift, it can actually help you to stay a bit more alert and get through that night shift. Um, so there's some cases where that would be difficult if you're in a control room that needs dim light to be able to see the screens. Um, that you're monitoring in a chemical plant or something, maybe that's challenging. But there's ways that you can actually give yourself light exposure without impacting on your, your work requirements. So there's glasses that you can wear that would give you more light exposure. You could look at putting some LED lighting near your screen that, that wouldn't get in the way of, of you being able to do your, your job. And so you can get, get that direct alerting effective of light to help you get through that that night shift and then you can sort of try to make sure you don't get high pulses of light in the morning that then signals to your body clock that it's sort of that that daytime when you're trying to go home and, and sleep so there's sort of those things to consider about when you're sleeping things to consider around the light exposure that you can be giving to yourself um, and then coming back to the caffeine that we mentioned before, people quite often like to use caffeine across a night shift, for example, to, to help them to stay awake. And, and some of our recommendations there would be rather than giving yourself a large amount of caffeine at one go, perhaps have smaller amounts across your shift to sort of spread out the, the caffeine that you're you're taking in um, rather than one hit of, of caffeine at a high um, high level of consumption and then that that wearing off. Um, but of course always be aware of the fact that caffeine can have an impact for an extended period. So make sure you're not having a lot of caffeine at the end of your shift when you then want to go home and try to sleep at, at the end of your shift and caffeine might therefore have an impact on your your sleep can i drill into the light piece because i think that's particularly interesting so when you're on shift you want to get as much light in your eyes as possible and then when you go off shift you talked about um, sleep hygiene and so i'm interpreting that as you basically want to make sure that your environment is as dark as possible and when you go to bed and you're sleeping you are making that room as dark as possible because any light that's coming through I think I read something about this. Even through your closed eyelids, if you if you have the light coming through, that can be a trigger to your brain. Hey, it's daytime in the savannah. There's lions walking around. You should wake up. You should not be sleeping under the tree. Is That's that right. is that the right way of connecting? Yes. All that. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And it does become a little complex because you have these two aspects of light. There's the alerting effects, but there's also the impacts that you're having on your circadian system as well. And so, again, this is something that we find is really challenging for people because it's so context dependent. And so if I'm speaking to somebody who works in a mine, 
and they work seven consecutive night shifts and that is their roster and that roster is not changing. Therefore, you need to make the most of it. My recommendations to them are going to be very different to the nurse that I speak to that's only going to work two consecutive night shifts and then go back to day shifts again. So my recommendations around what they would do to cope with that roster would be different. So in the example of someone in working in a mine, working seven consecutive nights, I will probably recommend that that person tries to adjust their circadian timing as much as possible to help them get through those seven nights. The person who's doing two nights and, and going back, I would say, let's manage how well as well as you can to maximize the sleep, et cetera, you can get for those two nights, but not try to manipulate your circadian system. In the case of the person doing seven consecutive nights, you could actually use the light to try and delay their circadian timing as much as possible so that you are starting to shift them later so that you start to move their, their peak circadian timing. So the trough, the low point of their temperature rhythm or the peak of their melatonin, you would push that time further into the day. So it's going into the time when they would sleep and you would so improve in the lead up to their shift they basically want to get light exposure into the late afternoon maybe evening so that they start staying up later so that already they're starting to get that momentum forward yes that's right so for to optimize that you would start during your the days leading up to your shift but then we would also manage the light exposure you would get during those seven nights as well so I would say lots of bright light in the first half of the shift for example in that that evening to, to early night and you're using all of those nights of um, those night shifts to help shift them later their biological timing later then you're going to start to take that peak night biological night outside of their shift and push it into their day and so they're going to be able to be more alert during their shift and they're going to be able to sleep better during their days. But of course, you then have to make sure you would manage what you do when you come off of those nights so that they're therefore not at risk um, of, uh, of problems when they come yeah, off I, of those nights. I've got this day. image of you driving home or walking back to your accommodation with sunglasses that have like side shields on them. If you really, if you really want to be true to this, right? Like you're trying to limit the light when you come off shift as much as possible keep it dark get into your room draw all the curtains down and just make that room super dark and then go to bed straight away based on what you're saying yes it's it sounds like you've been watching my research and what i've been asking my participants really? to do because that is effectively it <laughs> really glasses yes. you know i yes. have sunglasses with side shields the mountaineering Lovely. sunglasses i love them um but, but that that's like the ideal tool here right that's right and so Similar to what we've been trying to do with the, the rostering system, we want to make this sort of thing as accessible to people as possible because your listeners listening to this may walk out feeling more confused than ever because I, we keep referring to every context is different and the recommendations we would give it is different. And so what hope does shift workers have of, oh, okay, well, next week my roster is going to be this. What do I do then? And so what we're really trying to do is, is create these individual recommendations as, as much as possible without requiring, requiring somebody to come to someone like myself or a specialist clinician to give those recommendations. And so we can sort of come up with these, I guess, example recommendations and get them in the hands of, of shift workers by perhaps an automated app. 
And so that is a lot of the work that we're trying to do right now, where you can actually enter your rosters into an app system or give them to your clinician. And you are then given personalised recommendations of, okay, well, now you're coming into this roster system. I suggest before this shift, you sleep at this time, get some light at this time, hide from light using your wonderful glasses at this time. Um, these are the times where you could perhaps have a bit of caffeine if you need it. This is where you don't. And you just get sort of this personalised schedule effectively of, of how to manage your, your roster. Is your app live? It's in testing phase at the moment. So we've got quite a few different cohorts of shift workers um, testing testing those, but also a lot of ongoing studies that are collecting data to feed into that. So um, we are always looking for, for people to, to come forward and trial the recommendations to make sure it's an accurate recommendation to then go into the, to the app. So as much as the app isn't necessarily live for, for whole groups to get their hands on right now there are opportunities for individuals or individual organizations to absolutely get in touch and benefit from at a, you know, personally from what we're doing right now and to help us improve that app for for when we can we can release that how would you like listeners to express their interest for something like that either on an individual or organizational level Sure. So we have a, a few ways. They can absolutely contact contact me on, on my email, tracy.slitton at monash.edu. So that's T-R-A-C-E-Y dot S-L-E-T-T-E-N. And that's probably the, the best way. And then I can send you to the expressions of interest for the for the different work we're doing based on the, the interest of, of what you'd like to achieve. Okay. We'll pop that in the show notes as well if you didn't catch that then. Um, you talked about um, you talked about basically either deciding whether or not the shift is short enough that you can just endure it, or it's long enough where you can you can consciously try and shift your circadian rhythm. I think inbuilt in that is the 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 assumption or the the fact that your circadian rhythm can only be shifted by a maximum amount each day, and if it's too short, it's not worth it, and if it's long enough, you can kind of do it. An experience I'm thinking of here personally is jet lag, where it takes you a couple of nights to catch up. How much can you shift your circadian rhythm by? What's the maximum amount in a 24-hour cycle? Great question. So it depends on which direction you're trying to shift it. So I mentioned before that our sort of 24-hour rhythm is tends to be a little longer than that. Um, and so it's easier for us to, to delay. So if you are traveling west with your jet lag, for example, you want to delay, you could probably shift about an hour and a half tends to, to be the, the average. Whereas trying to advance and go to an earlier time, you would probably only shift about an hour. Um, but how much you shift really depends on the factors that you're using to shift. So if you just change your so jet lag, if you don't do much at all, you you go from Australia to New York um, and you don't sort of do anything other than just live on the New York time, you're not going to shift as much as if you used individual light exposure patterns and melatonin, for example, you can actually shift yourself much more rapidly and so similar to how we create these these shift work plans you can create a jet lag plan or we'll have some one of us create one for you for example um, where you can use that light exposure in your biological evening 
and then hire your usual glasses in the morning to shift you much faster. Um, and then you might also take melatonin, for example, to help shift you. And you can rapidly increase how much that you would shift under those contexts. Right. Because if you just turn up to New York in your example and you just start living at the normal pace of life, you might actually be out of sync with the the circadian rhythm and you might actually not be helping your body adjust. You might actually be making it worse if you're getting light exposure at the wrong time. You can like exacerbate your 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 phase um shift right is that is that true yes 100 percent true and I'm, I'm glad you said so because it's a really good point that we are constantly talking to to people about is that these sorts of recommendations we give are very very useful but you need to make sure that you're not doing the opposite so slightly wrong timing of light exposure or melatonin for example can absolutely shift you in the in the wrong direction um, and that applies for jet lag in particular um, but it, and that's why you do, if people have traveled a lot, you do tend to find when I said earlier, West is best. We, we naturally catch up, um, when, when we go West, but going East where you have to go shorter, you tend to get a bit more mixed up and it takes you, you longer to, to adjust. Um, and so that's particularly the case for jet lag, but very much also for, for shift workers as well. So these recommendations around light exposure, for example, you need to just make sure that you are doing that at the, the right time. And one of those things that I'd also perhaps like to use this opportunity to make clear to everybody is that there are significant individual differences, which is very difficult for us to know when you can't easily measure your individual biological timing. So We've done a lot of work in young, healthy university students sleeping on the same schedule for three weeks, not changing. So 10.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. every day for three weeks and then bring them into a lab and we can measure somebody's circadian rhythm and one of the ways is to measure melatonin. And we found in those that context in that group, we had a range of up to four and a half hours in their circadian timing. And so that's people all living on the exact same sleeping schedule. And so this is what we see at a population level. There's sort of, there's been a few other studies that looking up to about five hours difference. And so that means we could all be living in New York, but a large proportion of us are living on London time every day. And so all of us, whether we're shift workers or day workers, have this individual variability in our circadian timing. And that's sort of biologically driven. It's not due to our external light, dark exposure, et cetera. So that's something to always keep in mind. And that's sort of linked as well to why some of us tend to be more early morning people. Some of us tend to be more evening um, people because of this sort of biological basis to our, our circadian timing. And so that is also an important consideration when you are using these tools like light exposure, et cetera, um, that you need to consider there might be some slight differences in your circadian timing. So those, the variations you described there in the students, it's not because some people are sitting on their phones till 2 a.m. every morning and, you know, for a long period of time, their circadian rhythm eventually just adjusts. It's the natural variation within any healthy, normal population that's not nudged by environmental factors. That's right. your night owls versus your early morning birds. Yes. So there is that natural variation at the base level first, but we then manipulate that with our behaviour. On, on top of that so those two might might be intertwined and and so I might be 
a naturally early person. But if I am then sending signals to my body clock by giving it lots of light at night and then sleeping in and, or darkness in the morning, I'm going to become a bit more biologically delayed, um, which wouldn't necessarily align with, with my biology. I want to touch on two last points before we wrap up today. Um, the first is we talked a lot about melatonin. Can you please touch on melatonin supplements, tablets, brands, types, um, risks, usages, warnings, benefits? Please just give us a, a summary. Absolutely. So, yes, melatonin supplements are um, being investigated more and more in, in the literature. So it's a synthetic version of, of melatonin can be used to help us Firstly, to, to sleep, so it can have a soporific effect if we can take it in a higher dose to help us to fall asleep. But you can then also use it in a much smaller dose that isn't going to necessarily make you fall asleep at a particular time, but can help to shift your, your body clock. So there's two sort of ways that you can use it. Now, people might be disappointed to, to hear that it's only available by prescription in Australia. So it is available, but via prescription only. So when you are seeing products on the shelves in Australia that claim to be melatonin, they are not going to be melatonin unless they are from prescription in via prescription in Australia. Um, you, it's quite a different story in other countries like the United States, for example. You can walk into a health shop and, and buy melatonin in multiple concentrations. Um, but in Australia, effectively, you'd be looking at the prescription access and the product would be called Circadin is the one that you would most most likely get by prescription in, in Australia um, and that's sort of at a, at a dose of um, a, a higher dose and then for some of our work where we use a lower dose you can actually get melatonin from a compound pharmacy in Australia but again via prescription only. Um, in regards to its, its use so to help you to fall asleep, for example, to rather than shifting your, your circadian timing, I think melatonin is a, is a good product to use over other sleeping tablets like benzodiazepines, for example. And a main reason for, for that statement is because of some of the sort of follow-on effects you can get from uh, products like benzodiazepines where you quite often you have sleepiness continuing throughout the day for example, um, which people tend to struggle with. There's, there's tolerance issues. Um, relying on, on products um, like benzodiazepines where you don't tend to have those, those same troubles with, with melatonin. There have been a lot of studies that have, have looked at the efficacy of, of melatonin um, and at even a very low dose. So we've been doing some studies looking at 0.5 milligrams of melatonin. Um, still having a, a very positive impact on, on helping people to fall asleep. And then you're not necessarily having to take a, a high dose. So other concentrations, you'd be looking at one milligram or, or two milligrams. Um, but those low doses of, of 0.5 can still have a, a very positive impact. And I would just say to be careful with, with melatonin, particularly if you're a shift worker, Based on just be careful on when you're using it. Make sure you get those recommendations on the time of day that you are using it um, because of the signals that it's sending to your, your circadian rhythm. Um, so if you're doing night shift um, and then going back to day shift and then you're giving yourself melatonin every time you sleep, you're sending different different signals. Um, but otherwise, I think melatonin is, is quite a, um, a reasonable product to, to be using. Are we worried about it? 
reducing the amount of melatonin your body would release normally from your pineal gland. I mean, normally if we take hormones or sometimes if we take hormones, our body can become reliant on the the external source and become lazy or stop producing it internally. Is there sort of a, an elastic rebound effect after long-term use that we should be worried about or aware of? So the long-term, the studies looking at the long-term effects of melatonin are really still ongoing because relative to, to other fields, it's relatively new, I guess. Um, and so a lot of those long-term studies um, are still taking place, but I have seen no real evidence that that suggests that that would be be problematic um, at all. I think it, I, I tend to lean towards it much, much more than I do other products. So. And my last question was then going to be magnesium. So a lot of people talk about taking magnesium before they fall asleep. Can you maybe just touch on if, what, why, how, and again, brands and amounts, if, if there's relevancy there? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not my area of, of expertise. So I'd be, be hesitant to, to really give any, any recommendations around that other than just sort of my anecdotal experience of, of people saying that it has helped them um but really understanding why that that is is working certainly no no impact from a circadian perspective um of magnesium but whether it's from that relaxation per perspective I'm, I'm not sure but it is that one's outside of my area of expertise unfortunately dr tracy Sletton, thank you so much for your time and expertise was there anything we didn't cover that you want to just circle back on no, I think you've covered a, a lot in, in that space, but I think really just being much more aware of your, your circadian rhythm, whether you're a shift worker or not, and, and how our behaviour can have an impact on that, but also how we can use that knowledge to actually improve our regularity of, of our sleep. If you're not a shift worker, trying to keep as much regularity in your sleep-wake patterns and your light exposure as possible is absolutely going to, to give you benefits. Um, but even if you are a shift worker, just, just as much as it sounds illogical, trying to keep some regularity in, in what you're doing as you rotate from one shift to another is, is going to be helpful for you. And it sounds like there's a great opportunity as well to work with yourself and your team as a research participant. So um, just want to emphasize that again, we'll include those details in the, in the show notes. If you want to be part of a study and you want to do a deep dive and learn a bit more about your own clock, this might be a great way to do it. Absolutely. We would welcome anybody's help. We really need the, the people who are on the ground living these lives of, of shift workers to, to help us understand what, what works and what doesn't so that we can, can educate the healthcare system to provide that, that support from, from here on. Dr. Sletton, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Okay. Well, that's it for today. We hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Tracy Sletton. You can find us at talklink.com.au. See you soon. Thank you.